Jesus, we do thank you, God, that your love never fails. Your love is always there. Your love is deeper, God. And Lord, we thank you for the power that is in your word, the power in your love, God, and the power of your resurrection, Lord. We know that you transform us, Lord, and we become more and more like you. We become more of your people, the people you want us to be. And I thank you for that, God, because it's your work in us. And I'm so grateful for that. And so, Lord, we ask tonight that as we enter into your word, that you continue that work of transformation, change us from the inside out, Lord. And let us become more like you and live like you and love like you, God. So thank you so much, Lord, for your love that flows. We ask for your anointing tonight with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight we're going to continue again, as I mentioned in our word, in Luke chapter 5. And we're actually going to do uh, verse 27 through 39 tonight and finish off this chapter. And I've titled our message tonight, The Taxman Turned Disciple. And that's the title of our message tonight. I was reading about this man who was on a vacation in Acapulco and uh, he was strolling down the beach and then all of a sudden he heard a woman like screaming and kneeling in front of a child. The man knew enough Spanish to kind of understand and determine that the child had swallowed this coin. And so he came, grabbed the child, turned the child upside down, holding him by the heels, and the man held him up and started shaking him and shaking him and shaking him up and down, up and down, shaking him up and down until this quarter fell out of his mouth. The mother cried and then said over and over, Gracias, gracias, thank you so much. You saved him. You, you just know how to get the coin out. Are you a doctor? No man, said the rescuer. I work for the United States Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, and we know how to get money out of people. <laughs> well, maybe for some of you, when you hear the word IRS, it may bring up some bad feelings, you know, with the IRS. Maybe you didn't have a good experience there. Well, you know what? That's how the Jews felt about this tax man named Levi that's in our passage today. But Jesus reached out to him and reached out to him to call him to come and follow him. And really that's how Levi became, became the tax man turned disciple. So that's our story. That's our passage today. Our outline is this. Number one, the changed man. Number two, the contentious legalist. And number three, the clarifying parable. And so these are the things we're going to be seeing today. And it's part of our point uh, tonight, I should say. Well, let's begin. Number one, the changed man. The changed man. And we're going to be covering verse 27 through 29 in this section. But first of all, let's take a look at the first two verses in our passage, verse 27 and 28. And again, the title of the outline is The Changed Man. Verse 27, Luke chapter 5, take a look. It says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he arose and followed him. And so we'll stop right there. 
Now we begin here with Luke, the writer of this gospel, saying after this. Well, after what? Well, after what we saw last week, which was the passage right before this where Jesus healed the paralyzed man. If you missed that, you can grab the podcast, listen to that, or watch our YouTube channel and catch last Wednesday night. But that was the the healing of the paralyzed man, and we called the message last week the power of forgiveness. And we really focused in on that, if you remember. Well, after that, he went out. And remember, now he, we believe, or at least I believe he was in Peter's house in Capernaum on the north, in northern Israel in the area of Galilee. So he went out of that house and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, uh, in Mark chapter 2, verse 13, it tells us that Jesus went down to the lake again, the Sea of Galilee there, uh, in Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So he went down to the shore, and so around there, there was this tax booth, and sat this guy, Levi, the tax collector. And when he saw him, he calls out to Levi and says, Follow me. Now, the amazing thing we see in the next verse that Levi, he, leaving everything, he got up and he followed Jesus just like that. Now, must have been that Levi had been listening in in those sermons that Jesus taught. Maybe he, he was near the Mount of Beatitudes, which is right by there, and he could hear Jesus teaching. Uh, maybe when he taught, remember he was on Peter's boat, and he taught while all the people pressed in on shore. So something was happening in his heart in his heart already and so when Jesus called him to follow him it was like it was right at the right time he was at the right moment where he was ready to commit all to fully commit to Jesus and become his disciples that's what it means when Jesus said follow me he said come be my disciple and he just dropped everything he left his job He got up from this booth and he followed Jesus from that moment on. Now, this is huge. You got to think about this. This is huge. I mean, both things now. For Jesus to invite Levi to be a disciple and also for Levi to leave everything behind. Now, there's a few things you got to understand here to see this. You have to understand how incredible this, this is because for Jesus to even call this tax collector, that was like unheard of. That would be close to a scandal back then in the ancient times. You see, back then, tax collectors were hated by the Jews because these guys were fellow Jews working for the occupation government, the Romans, right? They didn't like the Jews being under uh, Rome at all, under their rule. They didn't like having to be, they were oppressed, you know, and all of that. This was the occupation. You guys work for them, collecting taxes for them. So the Jews really hated them because they really felt like God is the only one to have the right to collect taxes from us Jews, God's people there. So they were hated already. And then another thing, tax collectors were actually given the power to, to collect these taxes, right? Now, I understand there was a lot of taxes. There was the poll tax, there's a land tax, there's an income tax, there was a toll tax, there was a transportation tax. Any goods that were being transported, that was taxed. So, so they were given this power to collect these taxes, but on top of that, the government allowed the tax collectors to charge extra 
commission basically and that was the way they made a living but you see most tax collectors would abuse that commission they they charged you know as much as they wanted so they became very wealthy and rich and and it was a lucrative business for them because hey they overcharged they they took advantage and abused that privilege and even even there was there was these group of tax collectors that almost like not almost but they became like a syndicate practically there's a head guy and he would all have his little tax collector guys go around and collect the taxes, but in an extortion way, they'd extort a lot of money in that way. So they were hated in that, in that, in that sense. And then since these tax collectors collected like that, basically stole, they're considered sinners. And since they even dealt with the Gentiles who are living in this area of Israel, they, the Jewish guys, uh, like the Pharisees, they hated them because they considered them unclean because they would deal with the Gentiles too. So you can see how scandalous this was for Jesus to call Levi, a tax collector, to come and be his disciples. I mean, Jesus is becoming this respected person, a teacher or uh, a rabbi, so to speak. I mean, there's something special about him and teaching the word of God and all of that. But then Jesus calls, I mean, fishermen are one thing, but a tax collector, that's crazy. But the other incredible, amazing thing and shocking is that Levi, when Jesus called him, got up, left everything, everything, you guys. He left his job. And now that I describe his job, think about all the money he left, all his material goods, all the riches, all, everything yeah, that he had, he got up and left it all behind. This was no small thing for him to do. This was not like a, well, Jesus, I'll follow you part time. Yeah. Or, you know, I'll commit to you part time on Sundays. I'll come. Yeah. No, this was a full on commitment, full time commitment that Levi made. And that's amazing to me. So Jesus's call, Levi's response. What we really see is evidence that he was a changed man. Right. Something happened inside. And we could see the evidence from him. He heard Jesus. He probably heard those sermons and they convicted him. They moved on his heart. When Jesus called, he was ready to give his whole life over to Jesus. And we see right away, he's a, he's a changed man. Well, something else shows us that he's a changed man too. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, And Levi made him, that's Jesus, a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So Levi, right after that, he's following Jesus, but he, he wants to honor Jesus, so he brings him into his house, and he has this great feast, yeah, like a big party, a big luau, you can say, and invited all his tax collector friends to come and eat. And for me, I think there's two reasons why Levi did this. The first reason, I think he was going to announce to all his tax collector friends that he's quitting, <laughs> that he quit, that he's done, that he's going to follow Jesus. And he's letting them all know officially that he's done. And the second thing is, he brought Jesus with him to tell him why, so Jesus could teach them, so Jesus can share, and share the love of God, and, and, and share what God has to say, the Word of God. That's what I believe. 
He wanted his friends to be delivered like he was delivered. I mean, think about the bondage he must have been in when money, worldly stuff was everything to him. He was in bondage, but the Word of God was changing him. I mean, he saw what he really needed. He wanted Jesus, and he saw his own sin, maybe what he stole, how he abused, you know, his commission and everything, and that convicted him. Well, he wanted all his friends to know Jesus just like he knew Jesus. A famous preacher in the 1800s, J.C. Ryle, wrote this. Having found mercy, he wanted them also to find it. This is talking about the Levi. Having been graciously delivered from the bondage of sin, he wished others also to be set free. And I love that heart. I love that excitement there. I, I, I just am reminded about, you know, first coming to the Lord. I mean, just that feeling and that you want to tell everybody about Jesus. And, and so this is what we see. By leaving everything behind and sharing Jesus, Levi showed that he was definitely a changed man. By leaving everything behind and sharing Jesus, Levi showed that he was definitely a changed man. And, and just as I mentioned, you know, when I first came to the Lord, I was 14 years old. But, you know, I, it wasn't right away that I, I felt like I, I fully committed. You know, I, it was kind of a slow change, maybe six months or so like that. And then I fully committed, gave my life to Jesus. And once I did, you know, I was playing in a band and everything. We we're playing a lot of you know, secular music stuff. and But when I got saved, I wanted to put my old life behind. So I sold my electric guitar, I sold my amp, I sold my effects, and, and I, I just sold it all. I, I even threw away all my old albums and stuff I listened to and try and play and everything. And I just left the old life behind because really my partial commitment turned into a full commitment, and I full-on wanted to follow Jesus all the way. And I, I wish I was like Levi, maybe doing it right away, but when I did leave that old life, all of a sudden I felt this fire in my heart to want to share Jesus with everyone I knew. And I tried talking to my parents, and tried everyone I knew, I tried to do that. But I can relate to Levi, though. I don't know if you guys, right? Once you're set free, like J.C. Ryle said, you want other people to feel that freedom, that deliverance from sin, right? And, and, and that's Levi here. And I want you to capture that in your heart of who he is now. He's, he's this changed man. How about you tonight? Have you really left that old life behind? Are you willing to walk away like, like Levi did? I mean, leaving his old life when Jesus calls Levi totally followed Jesus, and, and that's what we need to do. Do you desire for your friends to even uh, be set free too? I mean, that should be burning on our heart, and that's what I see with Levi, just burning on his heart. So he has this big get-together, brings Jesus, yeah? and he shares what happened, I believe, and Jesus gets to share with them too. You know what? We see Levi as this changed man, definitely. And so I was thinking about this. I, I, uh, this devotion I was reading a few days ago really like challenged me in a way of, of this. Am I that changed man? Am I that person, you know, God? Have I 
left all of that behind and it, it came in this way. This devotion was, was asking, who are you? I mean, let me ask you tonight, who are you? How would you answer that? Who are you? I mean, God, God said this, I am who I am, right? Exodus 3.14. Moses said, I am not eloquent in Exodus 4.10. Gideon said, I am the least of my father's house. Ruth said, I am a foreigner in Ruth 2.10. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. But you know, if we were to ask Levi, maybe at this moment, if we could like interview him and say, hey Levi, after Jesus now, who are you? You know what Levi would say? Levi, I think, would say, I am this taxman turned disciple. I left everything and never turned back. And he didn't, because you know what? Levi is actually, he has another name. Levi is his Hebrew name. His Roman name is Matthew. And Matthew, we know him, he's the one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. That's Levi. That's who we're talking about here. He is the disciple, the apostle Matthew. So how would you answer that question? Who are you? Think about that. Maybe later tonight or tomorrow. Write, write that down. You know, it really challenged me because I thought, Jesus, you're in my life. Who am I? Who am I today? And you know what? For me, I, I, for me, I don't know, maybe because I make three three outline headings, but three things in my mind was this. I, I, I wrote this down. When I asked myself, who are you? My answer was this. I am weak, but strong in the Lord. I am nobody, yet somebody to God. I am a sinner redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That's who I am. That's who I am. Think about that. God has changed us. God has saved us. God has freed us. God has delivered us. So who are you now? Who are you? Are you that one that left the old life behind and now you're, you're on this new path? Now you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Who are you now? Well, we see Levi is this taxman turned disciple. He's the change man. Let's go on to number two, the contentious legalist. The contentious legalist. Now we're going to be covering verse 30 through 35, but let's take a look at verse 30 to 32 first. And the Pharisees, verse 30, and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? and sinners. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here's the Pharisees. Now they come in on the scene and they're scribes. So, so some of the Pharisees were scribes. Remember, they are like the lawyers, the guys who are experts in the law. The Pharisees were these priest guys, the religious leaders in that time. And he talked about that. So here's the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, they're there also. 
They see what's going on. You know, these Pharisee and scribes are following Jesus like paparazzi. <laughs> That's what I picture, you know, trying to find some dirt on Jesus, trying to get something, you know, against him. I mean, more and more as time went on, they really were jealous and they hated Jesus. So the first they're trying to find out who he is and find out more. And then little by little, they're starting to hate him. So they're following him all around wherever Jesus goes. So here's these guys, the Pharisees, Pharisees these religious leaders. They grumbled at his disciples. So I'm thinking that maybe uh, G, uh, the disciples had gone out of Levi's house and they were confronted with the Pharisees who had been outside kind of watching what's going on and everything and spying on them. And so they asked him, hey, why do you guys eat and drink? Why are you guys sitting there eating and drinking with the tax collectors, these sinner guys? You have to understand in the ancient time, when you sat down and had a meal with someone, remember when we talked about the Last Supper, how they'll dip the bread and the sauces and eat them, and they all like double dip, basically, or they'll break bread and hand it to one, one another, you know, so you're touching it. Not very good in this uh, pandemic, COVID times, but, but back then, so when you share food like that, right, when you're sharing food, what happens is, the Jews believe that you, you, you become one with that other person. You're sharing your food and what they're eating, you're eating, and it goes inside of you, and you, you become like, like closer. And really to share a meal meant you were close with one another and you were connected to one another. So imagine now the Pharisees saying, what? You guys sitting down eating with those guys? You sharing your... What? what, what wait, wait. That, that, that's not right. That, that's so wrong here. So Jesus, though, answered them. Maybe the disciples came back and said, Hey, Jesus, these guys out there, and they said this. So Jesus answered them and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, back then, that was a saying. It was like a proverb. It's like... It's like saying only sick people are in the doctor's office or, you know, that was the idea. So it makes sense, right? Only the sick will go to the doctor, not the well people. So Jesus just said this well-known like saying or proverb of that time. And then he explains it. He says, look, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance in verse 32. He's saying, you know, I've come not for the righteous, or we should say those who think they are righteous. And he's speaking about the Pharisees who were caught up in their own self-righteousness. See, they thought they were holy, that they were above all these people, that they, they weren't like these lower level, low life tax collectors and sinners, not them, and that's why they would never eat with them. So Jesus is kind of confronting them, saying, hey, I haven't come for the righteous, but you know what? To sinners, to repentance. So in a, in a way, in a way, he's saying, look, you guys think you're good, but these guys really want to repent of their sin. And that's why I have come. And really, this, this is, Jesus is not lowering any standards here, but he went to those needing the healing of their sin, basically. He's the doctor. They're sick with sin, so he's going to them to fix them, to help them, to heal them. And really when Jesus said, look, I have come you know, to, to sinners to bring them to repentance, that's why Jesus came. Remember our theme of this book? 
The theme is Jesus was born a man in order to die on a cross for all our sins. And our theme verse, if you remember that, is Luke 19.10, which says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus is going, saying, hey, we should be caring for these guys. We should be merciful toward them. Not like, oh, those sinners. Not being so religious that, oh, they're, they're no good kind of thing. Not like how the Pharisees are doing. I like some, uh, something that Van Buren said. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. I like that. See, the Pharisees was turning the church, basically, into this museum. The Pharisees were into religion. Their self-righteous attitude looked at, at tax collectors as, oh, these guys, you don't, you don't even deal with that. And they were shocked that Jesus did what, quote-unquote, religious people don't do. We don't do that. Real followers of God don't do that. You claim to be a follower of God and you're with them. What? This, this, is, this is scandalous here, what you're doing. Well, then they go on to something else after this. Look at verse 33 now. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to him, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Verse 35, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So Jesus now uh, uh, answers this other question, which the Pharisees, like, responding to what Jesus said, they're like, well, well, but you know what? How come John, John the Baptist, his disciples, they fast and pray? You know, and then even our guys, our disciples fast and pray, but but you guys don't fast and pray. You guys you guys are eating and partying even right now. Now back then it was required through the law of Moses to fast once a year for Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, during that uh, uh, observance of, of that holiday. So that was when they fast. But the Pharisees came to put into their rituals and tradition that every Monday, every Thursday, they would fast. So they're like, see, John's guys even fast, and we even fast, and you guys don't? You know what I'm thinking? It's probably a Monday or Thursday, and they're at uh, Levi's house having this big feast and everything. They're like, we're fasting now, and you guys aren't even fasting? Oh, that is so ungodly. Oh, that is so... Well, I can't believe that, that you're doing that. So Jesus comes back to them, and he says, Hey, look, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? In other words, I'm here right now. It's time to have joy. Yeah. Back then, fasting really was primarily mourning, like if someone passed away. Or if, if you're repenting before God, you would fast. And then the, the Pharisees turned it into this thing uh, that they would fast to make themselves look real holy. And Jesus is saying, look, we're, 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 no, I'm here. 
And it's like a wedding, and I'm the bridegroom. Would, would you make everyone fast when it's a time for joy? But then he does say in verse 35, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they'll fast in those days. And you know what? This is the first time in Luke that we see a, a, a word where Jesus is predicting his death. Because he will be taken away. He will be taken, right, arrested by the Jews, we know, by, and then put, uh, brought to Rome. They're going to put him on a cross. And he will be taken away, and he's going to die on a cross. So there's a little hint of that here. When that happens, yeah, they'll be fasting. But right now, it's time for, to have joy. So Jesus confronts really their religious legalism. That's really what's going on. As being like unmerciful, like eating with sinners, and joyless. I mean, these guys were really joyless. They had no, no joy at all. These, these guys, when they fast, they would go all out. They would make their face white somehow, maybe put some white stuff on. And they, so they would look more immense, emaciated is the word, yeah. They wouldn't wash their hair. They, they wear like real bolo kind, holy clothes. And what they really wanted to do is to go out publicly and have this gloomy look on their face and in their clothes because it meant they were fasting. And people would look at them and go, Oh, they're fasting. Oh, they're so spiritual. Oh, look at the holy Pharisees, you know. They're fast. They wanted that. They wanted people to say that. Jesus called them out in Matthew 6.16, say, when you guys fast, don't, don't, he's talking to people, he says, when you guys fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Then Jesus goes on, you know when you fast? Wear good clothes, you know, don't, don't, don't look that way. Don't tell anybody. And your reward is with the Lord. And so, Here's these Pharisees looking like that, saying, you guys don't even fast. And so in contrast, you can imagine Jesus and his guys, they're all laughing, having joy. They're eating, enjoying, you know, this, this party here. So we see here, by grumbling about what Jesus did or not do, the Pharisees showed themselves as contentious legalists. Contentious legalists. One writer, uh, Emma Bombeck, once talked about sitting in church when a little child turned around and just smiled at all the people behind them. Suddenly, her mother noticed and told the little child, Stop! Funny, huh? Watch out for that religious legalism. Where, like in Levi's world, you're not religious enough. Yeah. Where the spiritual leaders who you respected don't do what you think even. Uh, where, where that religious people should do. We, we got to watch out of being that way. Yeah? Of being like, like these Pharisees in that way. Here's the thing. If you tend to be strongly opinionated, watch out when you join that with your flesh and your pride. Because it's easy to look down on others and forget 
that Jesus died for those people too. That's what we have to remember. So give mercy like Jesus did. And how the, not like how the Pharisees didn't, right? And have joy like Jesus did. And not like how the Pharisees didn't. All right, so we've seen the changed man, the contentious legalist, and now to number three, our last section, the clarifying parable. The clarifying parable. This is the rest of our verses from 36 through 39, but first of all, verse 36. Verse 36. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment, puts it on an old garment, if he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. Now, Jesus is going to tell them this parable, and there's two parts to it. And this first part is this first part is about this new patch, so to speak, put upon and on some old clothes. Now, a parable is a story. It's an analogy. It's like an illustration that, that, that really uh, portrays a truth of God, a principle of God. It teaches a lesson. It, it, it's a way to try and understand these truths and principles in, in a more real-world way. So when, he, when Jesus is, hey, uh, 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 when he gives this parable and he says, hey, you guys know this. Nobody, no one does this. It doesn't make sense, right? No one puts like a, a new patch yeah, on this old garment, on some old clothes. Because when the new patch shrinks after a while or after you wash it, it's going to tear, right? The edges are going to tear because the old garment had already shrunk and so it's, it's, it's not going to work out. And the color's going to not match, yeah? The old ones will be faded. The new patch will, will be bright. And so no one does that thing. So what Jesus is trying to say in this first analogy is the gospel, what he's bringing, cannot be combined with the legalism and the rituals, the traditions of the Pharisees. What they try and do, the fasting, yeah? not eating with the sinners. So the gospel can't be combined in that way. Jesus did not come to patch up Old, the old religious system of Judaism, all its rules and traditions. No, Jesus came in with what we call the new covenant. That's what Jesus said, actually, where salvation is by grace through faith, right? Through his work, faith in, in how Jesus died on the cross and rose again. The law of Moses, uh, there's no way following that that you can be right with God. Right? Trying to do it in your own works. Matter of fact, the law we know the New Testament talks about was to really show you that you cannot. To show you what sin is so that you would go to God to find that salvation that you cannot do it on, on your own. The law actually pointed you to God and it pointed to the cross of Christ. So the gospel of grace did not fit into the religious system of laws and legalism that they were into. So you can't Jesus didn't come to patch up and fix up the old legalistic ways of, and the rules and traditions of Judaism. So then he goes on to the second analogy. Look at verse 37, 38. It says, 
And no one puts new wine into own wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. So back then, when they would ferment the wine or, or, or when the wine was fermented and it would continue ferment, they would, they would hold the wine in basically these wineskins, which is goat skins. And, it, and if you ever saw a picture of it, um, I should have put, brought one putting them up, but they basically take like a, the skin of a goat, like the body of a goat. The neck of the goat would be like the spout where you pour from. So they would fill that with the wine and, and that's how you carried it, that's how you poured it, that's how it was fermented. So Jesus is saying, look, everyone knows new wine, you don't put it into the old wineskins because the old wineskins are, are more brittle, they're not as soft. And when the new wine ferments and it expands, uh, the, the old skins that are more brittle, they're just going to break. They're going to burst open. And then he says it's going to be spilled all over. The skins can be destroyed. It's just going to be a big mess. But what do you do? You put the new juice, let's say, to be fermented into new wine skins. That's, everyone knows that. So in the second analogy, Jesus is saying, look, you cannot make the gospel work inside the old rituals, the old Jewish rituals. You cannot. The gospel won't work inside of that, the old Jewish rituals. Think about it this way. Jesus was coming in with the new covenant. Jesus was coming in to fulfill the Old Testament, right? But he was coming in with a change in how you come to God. No more did you all have to offer up the Passover lamb. Jesus himself is the lamb of God who died on a cross who takes our sins away. No more do you need a priest to administer the sacrifices and be the go-between you and, and the Lord. No, now Jesus, through him, we have direct access to God, right? We can go to the, boldly into the throne room of God and find grace and help in the time of need. And Hebrews talks about that. No more does God only speak through prophets, yeah? An anointed maybe priests or, or kings and all that. No, you know what? God now gives us the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done in making us righteous. Holy Spirit is in us living in us, and He teaches us. He can speak directly to us, so we don't even need a prophet. No more do we have to obey the Ten Commandments like an external way, but now the law of God, the principles of God, are now on our hearts. They're put inside of us because we're new creation. We're made now from the inside out to live for Jesus. Hebrews 10, 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So there's no longer this external set of rules and stuff that we got to try and follow. Now it's inside of us. Now we're motivated from the inside to live. Not some rules hanging over us, but from the inside. That means we want to follow Jesus. That means we want to read the Bible. That means we want to pray. That means we want to worship the Lord. Not, you have to come church, you have to read your Bible, you have to pray, you have to go, you know, do these things. No. We want to now from the inside out. That's what Jesus was saying. 
You can't fit all of this in the old Jewish rituals. Everything is totally changed now. So when the Pharisees are like, how could you eat with those sinners and tax collectors? How come you guys aren't fasting? Jesus is coming. Hey, look, we're, we're, we're coming in a different way. We're coming with mercy and grace and love for one another. This gospel is, is on me now. It's on me when I die on the cross. It's not what you do. You don't have to fast on Mondays and Thursdays and once a year and then maybe find acceptance from God or maybe God will listen to you. No, it's through me now. It's through me. So our last verse, then Jesus says this last thing. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. Now, again, he brings in this saying that was common for that day, where people who, would, who didn't want to change would say, no, the old is good. The old is good. You know, it's, maybe it's like today, it's like, it's like saying, uh, uh, if it ain't broke, why change it? You know, kind of thing, right? You know, why fix it? Uh, I'm, uh, I like this way. That, that's the idea. Uh, one commentator said, uh, maybe today Jesus would say you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, it, it's like, we're, you know, uh, but a lot of you guys, this is what Jesus is saying, a lot of you guys are like, I like the old way. I'm fine with it. I'm comfortable here. Why change things? Like, so that's what Jesus is saying. So really what he's exposing is their stubborn pride had made them blind. And so Jesus is trying to open their eyes with the truth with these parables. He's trying to show them, well, I've been called to bring these guys to repentance. They're savable. They're people too. Where the Pharisees had wrote them off. Where the Pharisees should have had mercy. Jesus confronts them about that uh, later, about giving mercy. We fast. He's trying to say, hey, there's a time for fasting. There's a time not to fast. It's not you got to do this. You got to do this. And then you pleasing God. No, it's okay. Have joy. You know, there's, there's a different way. So he's trying to get them to open their eyes to the truth because they're so set on their stubborn pride and in their traditions and rituals and in their legalistic way. Watchman Nee said, legalism is bound to produce pride of the heart. And, and I put that up because that just nails it where these guys are. They are very proud of how holy and spiritual they think they are. They are very proud of their self-righteousness. They think they're above everybody, better than everybody, that God has favor on them and not the tax collectors. They're, they're, they're already written off. Yeah? And they're so blinded in their pride and stubbornly not wanting to change that that's why they're, they're, they're like what I can't believe why I can't believe you guys are doing this but I'll tell you that's what happens so be careful when you get wrapped up into the rituals the procedures and all that you know and you get so wrapped up into it like you start to feel good about yourself oh yeah look what I did Ooh, actually I came to church you know this whole month Every Sunday, whew, I feel really good about myself. You know, watch out for that. Watch out. And then you start looking down at people. What? You missed a Sunday? What's wrong with you? You know, kind of thing. That's that pride. And that's legalism starting to creep in 
you know, that, oh, those rituals, those rules, those things that you do make you better than the other person. That's what these guys were like. So our last point is this. Jesus tries to break the grip on the old traditions and rituals with the clarifying parable. He's trying to reach them here. I, I really believe, even though he's, uh, there's going to be times he's going to be real straight with them, I believe Jesus is still trying to reach these, these religious leaders here. And so he's trying to break that grip they have on the old traditions and rituals with this parable. I mean, now that I explained it, doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it fit with what they're going through? That they need to see this. They need to hear this. They need to stop being stuck in this old ways and see that God is here trying to show them, you guys got off over here. Look what, why I'm here. You guys got to see and get back to what I'm really about, what God is really about. We can get stuck on things, can't we? And did you know, until the 1800s, the top speed anyone went when they traveled was like t maybe 20 miles per hour on horseback. With the arrival of the train, the railroad train, uh, they, people started to travel even up to like 36 miles per hour. And then trains got faster after that. But think about this in the 1800s. I mean, as time went on, we started to travel faster. 1952, the first passenger jet traveled 500 miles per, per hour. In 1961, astronauts orbited the Earth going 16,000 miles per hour. In 1981, the first space shuttle uh, was clocked at 17,500 miles per hour. But reversing back, going back to when the first train appeared, not everybody was on board, well, excuse the pun, on board with it. Uh, listen to this letter from Martin Van Buren. He was the governor of New York at that time. And he wrote this letter to President Andrew Jackson, and it's dated January 31st, 1829. So listen. So, so this was fir the first time when trains came out. Okay, And so... He's writing to the president, and he says, As you know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engine, which in ad addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, <laughs> scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. And then this guy wrote, The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. Isn't that crazy? We drive our own cars now like 55, right? Crazy, huh? But people are so set in their ways. Don't be like that with God's truth. Don't be like that with your walk with the Lord. Know the Word. Know Jesus. Know His heart. Know, know, know God, right? Don't get into so much of the rules and all this stuff, you know. Then you start putting it on others because you feel good about yourself. Don't limit God's truth in your life. Don't let those past traditions or rituals, maybe how you grew up on, get in the way in all of this. But compare it to what Jesus says. Don't let even this, what's comfortable, make you miss out or rob you of what God wants to do in your life. I mean, doesn't that happen too? 
we, 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 we get used to the way we do things or how we serve or how much we serve. And we get used to that and that's it. And we can get legalistic and then God's calling you to do more and you're like, uh, no, 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 no. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient. Don't be like these Pharisees stuck in their stubborn pride, blind to their own deception. Listen, it's the gospel of grace that changed Levi. Jesus called out to him. Jesus reached out to him. He found hope in Jesus that he could be changed. He could be forgiven. I think he was convicted of all the wrong and stealing that he was doing. And the Holy Spirit called him and he came to Jesus. Notice, notice this now. Levi and the Pharisees. Levi embraced what Jesus offered and his life was changed. But the Pharisees rejected Jesus and they didn't want to give up their life. Levi gave up, left his old life, and he was a changed man, and he found life. The Pharisees, nah, we want this old life. And they stayed the same in their miserable, joyless, unmerciful self. And it does come down to that, right? Is the old life really worth keeping compared to what Jesus has for you? Right? Why we hold on then? Why we hold on? We need to let it go. I like, I'll end with this. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I want Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And this is what happened and why this happened to the tax man turned disciple. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for just this account, God, and how you dealt with Levi because we are all sinners, Lord, and we're no better in our sin than the tax collectors. Yet, Lord, you reached out to Levi, to Matthew here, and look what happened. He turned his life around. He followed you. He left the old life behind. And God, we need to do that, to leave the old life behind. Lord, let us not play games and go back to it. Go back to attitudes, old attitudes from the old life. Old way of thinking. Old way of doing things, Lord. But let us leave all of that behind and follow you. Holding nothing back. Giving you, Lord, uh, fully committing to you everything in our life, our whole heart and all. Lord, submitting to your will, God. I mean, I just see Levi doing that. Not doing this part-time, but full-time, God. And Lord, may you change us, transform us. And in this process, Lord, may we become more excited, filled with more joy, May we f be filled with more fire, God, about you, for you, loving you, and reaching others for you, Jesus Christ. Because we know if you can deliver us, you can deliver, Lord, our friends, our family. They don't know what they're missing. They don't know. So God, help us to be like Levi here, not the Pharisees, 
caught up in their legalistic rituals, thinking that they're okay when they're so far gone. Keep us humble, Lord. Keep us teachable. Keep us usable, Lord. Keep us where you are, Lord, following you with all of our heart. That's where we want to be. In Jesus' name, amen.